This is the City of Refuge, Thomaston, Georgia, Sunday morning podcast. The following is a live recorded sermon by Pastor Jeff Deal. Easter coming up, and we know what all that's about, or hopefully we do. And um, it's a it's a time where we pause, we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord, and we do that in all sorts of strange ways, but the, but the main focus is on the fact that he was crucified and he rose from the dead, right? And because of that, we have opportunity for salvation. We have opportunity to find our way into the heart of God and live there, and we have opportunity for eternal life. <clears throat> That's pretty powerful stuff. But my focus leading up to that is on the the theme of following, following after him. So I kind of have in my head, as we live out these few weeks leading up to Easter Sunday, uh, just this picture, this ongoing sort of movie of as Jesus moved through the events leading up to that time of just following after him in that and and looking at the examples that we have in scripture of the people who were close to him and how they followed him or ultimately by the time he got to the cross didn't follow him if we're going to be fair and honest about it <clears throat> but the idea of following Christ is foundational and and we really need to to understand how important it is and how foundational it is to understand what it means to follow Jesus because sometimes we get this sort of glamorous or romantic idea about it and we need to throw that away and get down to the nitty-gritty of what it means to follow him so just a couple of scriptures to set the uh, stage for us, Matthew chapter 4 is, is the situation we're familiar with where he is walking along the seashore and he sees some guys at work and they are fishermen. This is what they do for a living. And I don't know if he had had contact with these people before or not. We're not told. I don't know if there had been introductions. I don't know if he knew them as kids or what, but what we're told is that he's walking along the seashore. This is from Matthew 4, verses 18 to 22. <clears throat> and um, he sees them, and he calls out to them, and he simply says, come, follow me. And what's their response? They immediately drop what they're doing and move in and obey his command and begin to follow him. First, Simon, then his brother, Andrew. Jesus says, come follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. It's a strange kind of a concept. I don't know what went through their heads when they heard him say it, but they were compelled and they moved out in response as an act of obedience and began to follow him. And then it goes on to 
James and John in a boat with their father preparing their nets, and Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. If you really think that situation through, it's kind of mind-boggling that these guys would lay down their occupations, their careers, their what they did to produce income for their families, even walk away from their relatives, the people they're connected with and are working with and are responsible to and accountable to, and just start following this man around. Now, we don't know all the details. Maybe it was a situation where they would actually go back and work some and then go when he's going somewhere and fire. I don't. We don't know all that. But it's still pretty radical, wouldn't you say, to just drop what you're doing and start following him just because he said, follow me. Well, you get on over into the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 16, verse 24, and he references following again when he says, <clears throat> or the disciples, uh, Jesus says to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. So we have progressed now to the point where he's being more specific about what's involved and what's required, going into more detail about it. Why? Because he has progressed closer and closer to the time of this broken body, shed blood, crucifixion, death. Now he's pointing out, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be my disciple, you need to be prepared to take up your cross and follow me. And then in John chapter 21, verses 18 and 19, this is after his resurrection. And he's on the seashore once again with some of the same people that he called from the seashore originally. And he's having a conversation with them, specifically with Peter. And he says, very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. Now listen to this. When you were young, when you were immature, before you had the knowledge, before you had witnessed and walked through the experience, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. You did your thing. You promoted your idea. You searched for your purpose. You attempted to write your own story. This is before you came into contact with me and my ways and my truth and had witnessed my life, had listened to my words, had been part of my experience. Before that, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. Okay, But when you are old... 
when you have really dug in, when you have uh, set yourself day by day in a commitment to follow, when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and someone else will lead you where you don't want to go. I have heard that preached on many times. I've heard it talked about many times. I've always interpreted it a certain way, which I don't have time to get into, but basically it's all of us when we get old, you know, we can't do for ourselves like we used to. I've just been uh, witness to experiences of older people uh, getting incapacitated, having to have lots of help with everything from dressing to eating to whatever, and having to have people help them with that. And then the place where you don't want to go, I guess, ultimately is then you're going to die. You're going to get old. You're going to become helpless. You're going to depend on somebody else. And then you're going to die. Well, that's pretty discouraging. And as I thought through this and studied this and prayed over it this week, I drew the conclusion I don't think that's what Jesus meant at all because I don't think Jesus on his way back to the Father in some of his last counsel to his followers is going to give them such a dark and depressing and negative lesson. Do you? I think there's more to it. I think there's something different going on here. I believe what he's saying to them symbolically is when you're young and ignorant and inexperienced and have no idea about God and his ways, you're going to try to do your own thing. You're going to dress yourself. You're going to go where you want to go. You're going to attempt to write your own story. But if you will simply say, yes, I will go where you are leading me. I will do what you are saying to me. Then as you get older, you're going to allow me to dress you. You're going to allow me to fix you up like you need to be. You're going to allow me to prepare you. You're going to pay attention to my instruction instead of relying on your own wisdom and intellect and talent. And then ultimately, you're going to go somewhere that you don't want to go. Which is, you're going to have to follow me to the cross. And you're going to have to experience persecution and hardship and pain, but ultimately it's going to take you to the right place. So, it's all about following. It's all about following. And I sat for, I have sat for significant periods of time recently and contemplated why. Why would one choose to follow Jesus Christ and why should one choose to follow Jesus Christ? Simon Sinek wrote a book called It Starts With Why. And it's a book written for business. It's, it's based on, on business principles, but it applies to the spiritual walk very powerfully. It starts with why. Listen, if you don't know why you're following the Lord, then you're just confused and unproductive and unfruitful in your spiritual walk. I guarantee it. If it does not start with why for you, then you will never understand and you will never maximize 
your kingdom fruitfulness and productivity. It has to start with understanding why I'm following Him. And I've thought through a lot of things. Why do people follow the Lord? I've read a lot of material, research, prayer, meditation. And I have found out that there are people who follow the Lord because they want to avoid hell. They want to avoid eternal damnation and punishment. They don't want to be judged and found wanting and be condemned. So they follow the Lord out of a fear of that. And I'll be the first on the list to say that I don't want to go to hell. <laughs> I have no interest. But is that why I should follow Him? I would say the answer to that question is no. Not fully. There are other people who follow the Lord because of the promise of blessing. The promise of potential healing when we're sick. The promise of potential protection when our enemies are up against us. The promise of empowerment to be able to face what life throws at us. The promise of peace that covers our lives. The promise of freedom. There are people who follow Christ or would say they follow Christ because of the promise of blessings and the potential of good gifts to come our way. And I'll be first on the list to say that I want the blessings of God. I want the peace. I want the freedom. I want the healing. I want the provision. I want the power. I want the protection. But should that be the sum total of why I choose to follow Jesus Christ, I would say the answer to that is no. You see, if that's all you have, what do you do when the trial starts? What are you going to do then? What are you going to do when those blessings are not visible right now? What's going to happen to your faith? What's going to happen to your hope? Because there were people in these Gospels who were following Him. They were in personal contact with Him every day. And there were loads of people who showed up. Why? Because they wanted to be the beneficiaries of miracles. They wanted the blessings. They wanted their bellies filled with fish and bread. They wanted to hear a powerful sermon. They wanted to be encouraged by His words. They wanted to be put in position to witness something phenomenal, something godlike. That's why they followed Him. There were those who didn't want what came along with being part of the Roman system. And the, the, the Jewish religion that had complied with so much of Roman policy to where now you had religious leaders who were working for the Roman government and really bearing down on their own people. So they were looking for a leader. They were looking to be delivered from something potentially really bad and negative. But what happens to any and all of that 
when you start walking a pathway that leads to a judgment hall and a whipping post and a crown of thorns and severe beatings and loss of blood and ultimately toting a heavy, burdensome cross up a hill and being nailed to it and hanging there suffocating until you're dead. If those are the reasons you're following Him, you're going to quit following Him somewhere in that process. The examples are right in front of us. How many people quit following Him? Well, let's examine how many people are standing in the judgment hall calling out, no, this man is innocent. I support him. I'm a follower of his. You know how many people that numbers? None. There's a small group of women who are sitting at the foot of the cross as He's dying. Everybody else has gone somewhere else. So that if, if that's what we have, if that's what we base it on, the, the potential of blessing or prevention of punishment, then we're, we're following for the wrong reasons. Now, blessings come. And certainly if we confess that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, we repent of our sins. We are delivered from hell and punishment. But that's still not the reason to follow Him. It's not the reason to follow Him. You say, well, Jeff, what is the reason to follow Him? The reason to follow Him, in my estimation, and I'm sure some might bring arguments to this or have different opinions, but based on the examples and the stories of the people who did follow Him, the people who have followed Him, I believe that the answer to the question is we follow Him because He told us to follow Him. He came along the seashore and He said, follow me, and they did. And as long as they were following Him because He said, follow me, out of strict, absolute obedience when they had no idea where they were going. This is why after He has been judged, convicted, sentenced to death, hung on a cross and died and rose from the dead. This is why a small number of people came back. Because they simply were following Him because He said, follow Me. So that now they have seen the pathway that He was going to travel. They didn't see it. He tried to tell them. He tried to explain. He tried to describe. But there's no way they could fully get what was about to happen. But now they have seen what was going to happen. It has happened right in front of them. And they're reflecting back on all those things and all those signs and all those symbols that He used to tell them what was coming. And now they are convinced that His way is the right way. And so they step back up and they say, yes, I will continue to follow. It's all about obedience. That's a brand new concept here, right? It's all about obedience. It's all about hearing His voice and simply doing what He says. 
It's all about putting aside our own ideas and philosophies and theories and opinions and saying yes every morning to whatever it is we see God doing and whatever it is we hear God saying, just simply responding in obedience. Why does the church exist today around the world? Why does this church exist? Why are we here? Why can you drive around and see buildings with crosses on top of them and know that people are gathering there and worshiping God and absorbing His Word? Why does that happen? Because after Jesus rose from the dead, He told a small, very small number of His followers, I want you to go to a room and I want you to sit there and wait. How silly is that? How ridiculous is that? We have just been part of a situation that rocked us to our core. We really don't understand the impact and the fullness of what all is going on here. And all He's telling us to do is to go down into the city and go up into this upstairs room and just sit around a table and look at each other and wait. But what did they do? They just did it. Why did they do it? Because he said do it. That's it. I'm sorry. I don't have anything more complicated for you. I'm not Joel Peterson or whatever his name is. It's all they showed on the video that can just bring it with uh, 15-letter words all over the place. I got a very simple thing for you. If Jesus says do it, just do it. If, if He shows you a picture of His work that's going on somewhere and you, and you happen to be a witness to that and you're close enough to it, you jump in it. You don't ignore it and walk on. It's like, it's like the, uh, the video that they showed where you know, if, you, if you cross paths with a situation, it's like, uh, like He was telling the story about giving out these testaments about the lady who comes to Him and says, you don't remember me, do you? What happened there was he saw a situation and he simply responded to the situation with a yes. And it changed a life. Why? Because he said to. Obedience. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Obedience is the key to everything. It's the, it's the most profound and dominant overarching theme in all of Scripture. Well, what about love? Yes, it's important. What about grace? Yes, it's important. But nothing, nothing trumps obedience in the Scripture in terms of how to respond to God and to move in relationship with Him and to have Him impact us in ways that causes us to be able to impact other people. He told Eve and Adam in the garden, Listen, depend on me. Listen to me. Do what I say. The tree is a symbol of who I am. This tree, me, that's all you need. You need nothing else. Don't go around here chasing, trying to find your lifeline in some other tree, in some other fruit, in some other situation. This is all you need. Come to this tree, this God tree, and get on your knees every day and say, God, what is it that you're doing? What is it that you're saying? Whatever it is, I'm all about it. I'm all in. And all the way through, See, they chose to look another way. They chose to believe the lie. What was the lie? The lie was, you can have an idea that's better than God's idea. 
And that's the lie we're still believing. And that's why the world is upside down and gets worse by the day. Is because we continue to believe that our idea is better than God's idea. And it runs all the way through the children of Israel, through the times of the judges, the prophets, the kings, into the New Testament, where Jesus over and over and over for three and a half years just tells them, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to do. This is what I'm telling you to do. This is how I'm instructing you. This is the information I'm giving you. Your sole responsibility is simply to obey what I'm telling you. Hear it and obey it. And one of the most powerful lessons, in my opinion, in Scripture is when he says to them that if you hear what I say and do it, you're like a wise man who's building his house on a rock. And if you either don't hear it or you hear it but don't obey it, you're a fool who's building his house on sand and expecting it to stand, but it won't. I went quail hunting this past week. First time I've done that. Went down to a place in South Georgia. Spent time with good friends. And I learned something out there. I learned that the guide that I was with, who has been doing this for 40 years, knows a whole lot more about quail hunting than I do. As a matter of fact, I found out quickly that I don't know anything about quail hunting. I, I have a bruise that runs almost from my elbow up to here to prove that I really don't even know how to hold a gun against my shoulder properly. <clears throat> so we go out there, and he looks at us, and we went in pairs, so it's two of us with him and the dogs, and he looks at us and says, the most important rule out here is to do what I tell you. And I made a commitment that I was going to do that because I just, there was something in me, just did not want to shoot him. <laughs> didn't want to shoot my partner. Didn't want to shoot one of those dogs. He pulled a Cocker Spaniel out of the pen. I didn't know Cocker Spaniels did what these dogs did. It was phenomenal. Stocky little Cocker Spaniel. His name was Parker. He said, you see Parker there? I said, yes, sir. He says, Parker earns me $20,000 a year. If you shoot him, I hope you got $20,000 in your bank account. So I followed the rules. I did what I was told. And one of the lessons that was powerful to me was we would get to a point and the, the bird dog would point and right before he let the cocker out to flush, he would tell me whichever side I was on, he said, all right, now it's time to move up. Move on up ahead of me. And the guy on this side, move on up ahead of me. And you shoot straight ahead and 90 degrees to the left and you shoot straight ahead and 90 degrees to the right so that we don't shoot each other and we don't shoot the truck. <clears throat> don't go up there before he tells you. 
Don't depend on your own intuitions when there are lives at stake. Don't go out there and be big stuff and do your own thing. There's too much at risk. Too much opportunity you can lose. And there's too much damage that can be done. There's too much potential for a lack of productivity. There's too much potential that things will go wrong. That they, and you may not kill anybody. You may not hurt a dog. You may not put holes in his truck. But if you walk away from it and the experience was not maximized, if you didn't achieve the maximum experience, then you've missed out on something. And Cowboy Don from Colorado's there with us and told us a story about his first uh, roundup when he was like 17. And he was offered the opportunity to go to Montana and round up or drive cattle for some, I don't know how far, but so they're on horseback and he said the head wrangler, crusty old guy, been doing this his whole life. Gathered them all up right before they went out. And he said, this guy didn't pat it a bit. He didn't sugarcoat it. He didn't even smile when he was talking. He said, do not get in front of me until I tell you it's time to get in front of me. And if you do, we're going to leave you right where you are to find your way back wherever you came from. Powerful lessons in that, if you think about the kingdom walk and who our head wrangler is and who our hunting guide is and who our authority is and who our source is and when we evaluate His knowledge compared to ours, when we evaluate His intuition and His experience compared to ours, he is the creator of the universe. He is all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's ever-present in all places at all times. Yet we want to exalt our idea above His. No. As it relates to us right here, listen, He's taking us somewhere. All we have to do is say yes and follow. Say yes and follow. We're a small group. I've noticed that People drift in here one at a time or two at a time, and that's about it. And, and there's a good-sized percentage of the time that whoever it is, whether they're in ones or twos, that drift in, they usually drift right on back out. I guess for a multitude of reasons or a variety of reasons, not the least of which is probably they don't dig our style. We're too edgy too crusty, too, I don't know what. We're not regular church, y'all. Y'all probably figured that out. <laughs> We're not regular church, and I think all churches are doing some good work, or most of them, and having an impact and spreading the gospel. And, and our approach is to just be casual, plain people who love on you, extend the benevolent heart of God to you, say yes to whatever God is doing, Always be looking outside our walls to see how He wants to use us to bless somebody else. 
the least of these are welcome. It don't matter what you look like, where you come from, how much money you have or don't have, what your background is. City of Refuge is our place in Atlanta is full of former addicts, and some are still addicts, and convicts, and former convicts, and, and prostitutes, and everything in between. And I think that's what the kingdom looks like. As a matter of fact, I believe I read stories in the New Testament that Jesus sat around the table and broke bread with people like that. i got to finish. The why. Tracy and I were talking last night, and we got into discussion about prominent Christian leader that I referenced last week, not going to call names, but who after his death, it was found out that he was mixed up in a lot of bad things. He was the foremost apologist or arguer for the gospel, probably in the history of the church. Wrote best-selling books, ran a big worldwide ministry, traveled all over spreading the gospel and arguing for the faith would go up against the most intellectual atheists in the world and just wear them out. And then when he passes away, it comes to light that he's, he's got dar a dark side to his life. There's other stuff going on. It's very disappointing because I spent a lot of time reading this man's material, watching videos, listening to sermons, and gained, gained a lot from it. And that's not discounted, but it's still very, very disappointing. And I said to Tracy last night, I said, it seems to me that at some point he had to have stopped following Jesus and started following something else. Don't you think? Because if you truly follow the Lord with full commitment, impurity, and hard pursuit after his righteousness, just saying yes to what he's saying and yes to what he's doing. Is he ever going to take you into those evil places? So if you go into those evil places, you must conclude that you're not fully following him. You may be partly following him, but you're also following something or someone else because he would not take you there. We have to follow him. He's still calling. Come, follow me. And we have to respond to be fully embedded in his kingdom and to realize the fullness of who he is and where he wants to take us. And then there's the where. Where do we follow him to? Simple answer again. Wherever he leads. The answer to why is this church here, why is the church in existence at all, is because they said, okay, yes, we will go to that room. We will wait. We will embrace the Holy Spirit when He comes. And then Peter stands up after that experience and preaches, and 3,000 people respond and join the movement and say yes and begin to follow, and thus the birth of the church that still exists today. And when should we follow Him? Every minute. Every minute. Well, Jeff, that's not possible. It's possible to try. 
It's possible to try. Jesus said, be perfect like I'm perfect. And our automatic response will be what? Well, we can't be perfect. But we should commit to being perfect as if it is achievable. We should live as if we think we could become perfect with that level of obedience. And little by little, I think the day you die, you should be more righteous than any day in your life because every day you should grow in your righteousness a little bit more. There's only one way to do that, and that is to get up every morning and to say yes again. And if we do that, He'll grow us up a little bit more. He'll give us another little glimpse, another little revelation of who He is. He will teach us something we didn't know before. He'll reveal something we never saw before. And we grow and mature. Make a commitment to every minute. You don't end up doing bad things in a massage parlor if you've committed every minute. Because once that temptation arises in your life, if every minute leading to it you have been following and committed to hearing His voice and doing what He says, you're going to automatically reject that temptation. He will not take you there. Following Him guarantees that we will not end up in a pit of evil because Jesus would never take us into that pit. So I think we renew and we continue. We get up every day and we say, God, what are you doing? We dig into His Word. We listen for His voice. We pray to Him. We surrender our own will, our own idea, our own opinion. We say, you are Lord. You are Lord. You are Lord of all. You're Lord over everything. I bow my heart. I bow my mind. I bow my knee before you and declare that you are the supreme authority in my life. I want to know what you're saying. I want to know what you're doing. And I'm absolutely committed to saying yes to whatever that is. Take us where you want us to go. I'm not going to get out in front of you. There will be a time when He will say to us, okay, it's time for you to move on up. Move on up into the next position I have for you. But it's sin if we move up before He tells us to. And it's sin if we don't move up when He tells us to. But He's going to put us in position for greater things, bigger experiences, more of a revelation of who He is. And every time we say yes to Him, we move a little closer to those experiences. But He's not going to trust us with bigger things until we've shown Him we're faithful to the small ones. So let's just keep following the guide. Let's just keep paying attention to the head wrangler. Cowboy Don said the first time they got on the horse to start out on the ride, he looked at him and said, all right, we're going to be trotting for two and a half hours. And Don said, we looked at each other and said, what did he just say? But you commit whether you even think it's possible or not. You might be thinking, well, if I say yes to that, whew, I'm not going to be able to walk when I get off that thing, or my shoulder's going to be bruised, or whatever the case is, but we still say 
Yes, because he knows way more about it than we do. He knows what's on the other side of that experience, and we don't. He knows what's down the road, and we don't. We don't know anything, and we try to act like we know everything. And the fact is, he knows everything, and he wants to give some of that to us if we just walk in obedience. Let's pray. Father, you're good. And your voice is always there for us. You told us that you were sending us the Holy Spirit. He would be constant. And he would comfort us. He would counsel us. And one of the coolest things he said he would do is that he would remind us of all the things that Jesus said. We depend on him. I stand behind this table right now with this bread and juice representative of the body and the blood. And I say thank you that we have that to focus on and that to remember, but that also to nourish us now to be able to face what's coming. And we just say yes to what you're doing. We say it one more time. It's not the first time we've said it, but we have to keep saying it over and over and over. We say yes to what you're doing. We will listen carefully for your voice. We will pay attention to your instructions. We won't move out ahead until you've told us to, and we won't lag behind when you've told us to keep up. We're fully committed and surrendered to you. We give you thanks for the opportunity to do that and to live in your kingdom. In your name we pray. Amen.